0: Welcome, welcome everyone, Talk Racing to me with Naomi, show 16. A little bit late, but worth the wait. One day later than my normal post time, but the content is all the better for you. You have to take my word on it just for now, but I hope afterwards you'll agree with me. And before we start, please make sure to rate and review Talk Racing to Me with Naomi wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcast. You'll find me there. And of course, keep tuning in to all that is wonderful coming from the In the Money Podcast fountain of content. This week I will be previewing the action coming up this weekend at Saratoga with my wonderful guest, whilst also discussing some recent events as well as diving a little deeper into legends of the sport and a bit of you know going down memory lane. Today's show starts with the hall of fame trainer Shug McGhee discussing his current star Code of Honor whilst reminiscing on personal ensign and easy goer. We were outside of his barn so... Please excuse all the horses and the hustle and bustle that makes up the busy Saratoga backstretch. But trust me, you'll really feel like you're there. And we had Cone of Honor in his stall right behind us. Followed by Jack Sisserson, who gives us an update on Lexitonian, the late scratch from the Grade 1 Alfred G. Vanderbilt, who now will be running in the Grade 1 being Crosby at Del Mar on Saturday. He chats about having vexations in the Grade 1 personal ensign, as well as Everfast, who will be running on the undercard and is aimed at the Grade 1 forego. Everything is tied together by New York Racing Association's long-standing analyst Andy Serling, who gives his expert view on the upcoming Grade 1 action and why Whitney Day is his favorite race day. Without further ado, I will give you the pleasure of listening to the legendary Shug McGay. Shug, you told me previously that Code of Honor needs a fair bit of work into him. How has he been training thus far and what has he been doing?
1: He's done well since we've been up here. You know, I didn't work him before we left Belmont after the Met mile way to get up here because he seemed to like this training track last year when we had him here getting ready for the getting ready for the traverse so um you know i think he's gotten up here he's done well i've worked him twice two men licked him a couple times and i think both of his works have been have been really well you know he went five eights and one oh one and some change here by himself with the exercise girl on him, and uh came back on monday went in 49 but went off at 25 and change and came home in 23 and change just with the exercise girl on him by himself so uh you know i he standing up at the front of the stall and seems to be fine.
0: Would you say there are particular aspects of Saratoga he enjoys a lot?
1: Well, he's done well up here. He broke his maiden up here at his first start as a two-year-old. Then he came back, and his next start was over this track here was the Traverse. He won that. So evidently he likes something up here.
0: Well, indeed, he's two for two. And Would you say that there are Horses for Courses in Saratoga as such a particular track that sort of um, fits that mold?
1: I think so. You know, the main track's different this year. They redid it. Now, you know, how much different it is, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, so everybody's getting the same experience. Um, but I think he'll be fine. You know, he's, all, he's run good here, he's run good at Belmont. He, <clears throat> you know, so, um, you know, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't need to take his track with him.
0: In his last race, the Met Mile, he ran very well, put in a lot of effort there, came with that late run, but just came up short. But he just kept on going, kept on galloping out. Do you think going back to that mile and the eighth is going to suit him?
1: I would think so. You know, I, I think when he was a three-year-old, one of his better races was going a mile at Belmont in the Dwyer. But, you know, he the, the other day, now he's four years old and he's been around two turns. And I think that that sort of makes a little bit of a difference and um, so I think that going a mile and eighth will be will help him especially around two turns. You know when Velazquez came back after the Met he said it was just a little bit too short. Um, So you know we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, You've drawn gate three in the race. Is that a gate that you like? Do you think that's a positive for him or what would be the game plan?
1: I don't think it's a problem by any means. There's only five horses in a race and you know, we're going to let the, we'll let the, he's got a way of running and it's from behind. And I'm not going to take that away from him. And, you know, we'll just see how the race develops in front of him and take it from there. You know, hopefully, you know, they're going to go a little bit. He can drop over and kind of save some ground around the rail and around leaving the half mile pole. I hope he'll start kind of getting into it and give himself a chance when we get to like, when the running starts, like around the quarter pole
0: hope he does well. And you mentioned before he won last year's Travers. And I do hope my research is correct. The last horse that won the Travers and the Whitney double was Madaglia Dora 2002-2003. How difficult do you think it is to complete a double like this in the current circumstance? Because you've done it before with Easy Gower in the same year, which is the, an incredible feat. But under the current circumstances, do you think it's possible again?
1: <laughs> it better be. Oh, my sake, yeah. No, I, yeah, I think it is. I mean, this is really a solid field of horses, but, you know, Code of Honor's done well, and uh, I think he fits. And if he goes over and runs his race, they're going to know he's in there, and, you know, I think he would have a big chance to pull off the Travers Whitney double.
0: How special was Easy Goer to win both of those races in the same year?
1: Well, he was a special horse. Um, his owner, Mr. Phipps, was a special man. So, um, he bred him and owned the mare and you know he uh, he was pretty special to him too because he liked, he liked campaigning a good horse and he got one when we got him. I was a young guy, I hadn't worked here very long for them when we got him, and uh, so it was it was a special treat to be able to have such a nice horse, not only for myself, but you know more so for Mr. Phipps. The first time when he was a uh, yearling, Mr. Phipps and I went down there to look at the horses at Claiborne Farm, and that was the first time I saw him. Well, he was a big, solid horse. He was young. Um, he made a huge impression on Mr. Phipps because he said, I think he's our best when we're on our way back. But he was out of a, a mare called Relaxing that Mr. Phipps raced himself, and she was a champion, very good filly. And uh, so I think he was pretty partial.
0: Going back to your other special lady, Personal Ensign, she won this race in 1988. Could you take me back to that race and what she meant to you?
1: Well, Personal Ensign was a career maker. I mean, you know, to win 13 out of 13, hadn't been done in 80-some-odd years, a champion, retired, you know, undefeated, and hadn't been done since. Um, Some some other horses won more than 13, but but, uh, she's the only champion that's been retired, undefeated. And she was just a good filly, you know. She won her first start as a two-year-old when we came back from here. And, um, you know, I remember the exercise girl that was getting on her all the time said, this filly's unbelievable. And I said, well, she keeps going a half and 50. How she be unbelievable? And she said, she goes a half and 50 like no other horse goes a half and 50. So she won her first start pretty easy. And um, I elected to run her back in the frisette as a two-year-old, come up kind of a bad day, the favorite scratched and uh we were able to get up and, and and win she finished and win the present so now she's a grade one winner we're getting ready to go to california i worked her the day before we we're going to catch the plane and take send her out there and she worked phenomenal but she heard her back past her and uh we had to operate on her and so really i thought we were just saving her for a broodmare but uh she spent the winter in new york and you know then we started got sound and we started training her again and um she just did really well and i got her ready to run again up here and ran her the, the race i wanted to run her in when i got back to belmont didn't fill so i had to run her out of condition she was a two other than i had to run her in a three other than and she won and i was able to run her back in a three other than again so now she's a three other than she won that and then she won they used to have a mile race called the rare perfume she won that, and then I elected to run her against the older fillies in the Beldane, and she had won that. The Breeders' Cup that year was in Hollywood Park, and it was late in the year, and like the 21st instead of the first Saturday in November. So we elected not to go, and we just kind of put her away for a little while and got her ready to run again in Gulfstream, and I couldn't get a race to go for when we got back up here, so or Belmont. And I ran her in a grade one off the bench called the Shoeby, and she won that and then she won the it's called the hempstead now it's called the ogden phipps she won that and then i was getting kind of some <clears throat> blurbs from the west coast that she could only she's only winning at belmont so i i said well i'll fix that and i took her to monmouth and she won that from here to that house and the molly pitcher and then that was when mr phipps and i elected uh, to run her into whitney against the colts um you know, which was a big step, but it was something he wanted to do, and it was something I had no problem doing it, and I enjoyed doing it. Um, you know, I liked the challenge of it, and you know, he was an old sportsman, and that was, you know, what he liked too was the challenge and to show, you know, how, how good she was, and she was able to win that and, uh, on a kind of a ra- kind of a muddy race track. It's a three horse race, her and a really good horse called Gulch. And another really good horse called King Swan. So obviously, that was a, a huge thrill for both of us.
0: Would you say that is the key to racing sportsmanship and not shying away from a
1: challenge with your horses? I think so, but race has changed a lot, and it's changed a lot here in a hurry to where it's not as much of a sport as it is a money thing, and it disappoints me. You know, I remember standing out here, I'd finished second or third in the Travers a couple of times, and um, Pete Axel, an old uh, work for Sports Illustrated and TV too. You know, he said, you know, I remember telling him, I said I'd give him I'd give him all the money back if I could just win it, you know. And but I don't think people really feel that way now, including maybe me. But um, you know, it's it was a it was a sport to Mister Phipps, and and the sport never got in the way of what it, what he it did. You know, there was never any questions. Um, you know, he was just a He was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man, and he loved his horses, and he loved Saratoga, and, you know, he was, uh, you know, I was privileged to be around somebody like that.
0: Getting back to when you were talking about training personal, I would have loved to have seen her move, because the way you're saying that your exercise rider is describing her, I mean, she must have just looked like she was floating over the ground.
1: Well, she was a big, good-looking filly. She stood in the first stall there by the tack room, and, um you know, she did. She had a nice way of going. I mean, people knew when she walked out there who it was, uh, you know, she was kind of a tall racy looking sort of filly, And, um, she just did everything right. You know, she, she was, uh, easy to train. She'd do whatever you ask her and, you know, she'd sort of break and get her a position and, you know, about the three eighth pole, you know, she'd make her move and the eighth pole was over with. And, um, except for the last time she ran in the Breeders' Cup when she made her move and it wasn't working until she got up the last jump. But, um, you know, she was just, she was an exceptional filly, and I haven't seen too many that were better than her since her.
0: Would you say any that you've seen thus far would have been equal to her or she's the top?
1: Well, there's been some good ones, you know. I mean, they all, you know, you hear about Zenyatta all the time now, but we'd have got the jump on Zenyana if the two of them were running. We would have been in front of her. She'd have had to catch us. And I don't think that was going to happen. I mean, you know, but, uh, you know, there's, you know, obviously Rachel Alexander was really good, especially when she was three. And uh, I think that Woodward kind of, when she won that here, kind of took a little bit out of her. But she was she she was she was an exception too and fun to watch run. I beat her here in a personal incident. But I remember standing in a paddock And and so I just want to take a good look at her up close here, you know, because, you know, that's what I thought about her and her racing ability, but I was sure happy to beat her. But I don't think that when we ran against her, she was the same Rachel Alexander. She'd been the year before, but it was still fun to win.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that would have been an incredible race if we would have seen those three fillies line up against each other. But getting back to the Whitney uh, this Saturday, last time you won it with Honor Code in 2015, what does it still mean to you to win a race like this, even after you've won it multiple times?
1: Well, I'm a competitive guy, and I mean, you know, I, I like to I like to be, I like to run into big races like the Whitney, and, um, when well, I think I got a good chance, and, uh, you know, I think I get a good chance on Saturday. I'm, I'm excited, um, you know, Saturday I'll be a little bit nervous, but I'll also be excited, and, you know i've been through the wars for a lot a lot of times but as mr phipps told me one time when he was about 90 if you don't get nervous then you ought not be in it and uh, so you know we're looking forward to saturday and i think we're pay- taking a nice horse over there that's doing really well and you know it's just you know that's what i'm in it for to compete in those kind of races you know i've never claimed a horse in my life i never really wanted to you know, race at the you know some of maybe the lesser race tracks. This is what you know. I always want to race in New York or in, in Keeneland or Churchill Downs and those places and be competitive and run into big races. You know, and luckily uh, you know we've been able to do that um, even before the Pipses. You know, I had a lot of really good opportunities, and then when when I got this job in, in 1985, um, you know, just been there's been a lot of good horses involved and, uh, been a lot of good horses come out of this barn and, uh, it's been, it's been quite a treat. It's a little bit, as I was saying earlier, it's a little bit disappointing to see kind of racing go to the, to the marketing part of it and the money part of it more than the sportsman part of it. But you know, that's the way, way life is. I've got a good friend who's a football coach and he said, Al Davis told him one time, said, Bill, our sports going to be fine till wall street gets involved. This football so you see what happens. Wall Street got involved.
0: <laughs> well, Suga, I'd have to say, your horses are agreeing with you as the chorus just uh, chanted behind us. And Konervat looking out of his stall, ready to go on Saturday. I wish you the best of luck and thank you so much for your time here today.
1: Thank you, I appreciate it very much.
0: A tough act to follow, Suge is such a pleasure to talk to. Calumet retained trainer Jack Sisterson provides us with some great insight into his operation hi Jack welcome to talk racing to me with Naomi how's everything going with you
2: I'm doing great you know I've had a little setback with my back but there's a lot worse of people in the world at the moment so um, I'll be soon um, it'll be soon enough we'll be over and back on track
0: I hope you can get the chance to go to Saratoga because you have your Philly running this Saturday and of course you had lexitonian before. Are you gonna make it to the spa at some point, you think?
2: Yeah, I'd like to make it up this weekend to see Vexatious. Actually we've got Vexatious and Everfast is gonna run on the undercard in one of the allowance races too. So I'd like to see him run. So hopefully all goes well. I can make it to Saratoga on Saturday.
0: Yeah, definitely it's much more special when you're there yourself, isn't it?
2: Yeah, no, it's well I've got a great staff behind me. Your own is Good as, you're only as good as the people that are behind you. So if I can't make it there, I know they're all in good hands.
0: Because so who is there with the horses now at Saratoga?
2: Marco Dwyer the assistant. He's there and uh, Felix and Antonio. So there's three guys up there with them.
0: I'm sure they're in great hands. Let's look back at Saturday. You had Lexetonian, who was set to compete in the Alfred G. Vanderbilt, but unfortunately... Things didn't go his way. He had to get scratched after sitting down in the gate. Has he been nervous in the gate before? Or do you think this was merely a combination of Whitmore's gate malfunctioning and the subsequent commotion that was caused afterwards?
2: No, he's never been an issue at all with us. Um, we've ran him several times and um, he's never shown us or has a jockey rolled him and got off and said he was bad in the gate. This was new to him. Um you know, the race he ran at Churchill when he won with Tyler. Um, yeah, pulled his numbers and the Raggedon number. He ran such a fast number that typically when you run them back quick, they have a tendency to bounce. So we talked as a group, we we're given plenty of time to get over that win and we're pointing for the Vanderbilt, which was this past weekend. So he had two months in between his race at Churchill to to this past weekend. So he was energetic. and But the way he was warming up, I was at home watching it on the TV he looked nice and relaxed and wasn't getting warm or anything. And, you know, actually Tyler um, contacted me right when he got back in the jocks room after and said how well he was warming up and he was feeling like he was going to run a big race. So um, with Whitmore breaking through the gate, you know, just triggered his energetic self off a little bit. And I'm yet to see what exactly happened. Um, you know, I get like anything in life, you get conflicting stories, and he said this, she said that, and I'd like to just see it myself to see exactly what he did.
0: I'm assuming you were watching it on TV. What was going through your mind at the time?
2: Well, when a horse breaks through the gate, whether it's your horse or anyone's horse, you know, it's typically rule of thumb, they are the breaks of the gate, they're not going to run well, and unfortunately, in a grade one, you don't want, you don't want any horse breaking through the gate in any race, but... When Whitmore did actually, Joel did a great job, especially a sprinter. they very strong and he did a great job pulling them up, but it did take them quite a while to bring them back. Um, I wasn't sure why they just didn't back them all. You know, it's a grade one with five runners, so you've got four runners standing in the gate. Why not take any risk to just back them out? But it took a couple of seconds to back them out and that was it. Tyler said as Whitmore was coming back, um, because I was watching it on Fox Sports and, you know, um, you could see, hear the reporters chatting about previous instances where horses breaking through the gate. And so during that, them talking, Lexitonium was still standing fine. But it was a minute or two of, you know, him waiting around and in the gate still. And naturally... They, all they want to do is run, and he wanted to go himself, and he's got himself wound up saying, you know what, I'm not standing here any longer, I want to go. So that's what he's done.
0: I saw on Twitter that he breezed the next day, and hence assuming that he was good. What were the reports coming back from your stable in Saratoga?
2: Naturally, Mark called me seconds after it happened, asking, did I see, because he was on the front side. I couldn't see. Mark ran back to the backside and called our veterinarian, Dr. Hunt, to meet the the horse back at the barn and both of them went over him head to toe and jogged him up and flexed every joint possible. And he was sound immediately after the race. I called the stewards right after the race to see what sort of list we were put on. Cause you know, it differs from track to track and I, I obviously want to play by the rules. And if I'm not allowed, he needs to run Naomi. So the intentions were if he was sound, with a small little incident there, I was going to breeze him the next day and look for a race the following week. And But I wasn't sure with the rules in New York if I could breeze him the following day because he scratched him. So I called the stewards and the steward said, no, you're not on any list at all. You can work him, run him, you can do whatever you'd like. So I spoke to Mark again. I said, let's plan to have Dr. Hunt go over him good early Sunday morning before he breezes. And if he looks good, to both of you go ahead and breeze him a half a mile and fast forward to Sunday morning he looked great for Mark and um, Dr. Hunt jogging him up and flexing wise and we breezed and he breezed great and fortunate enough we were able to get him on a flight to California to run on the Bing Crosby
0: I mean I was going to ask what was the thought process of deciding to go across the country in search of another great one I know it's a winner you're in for the Breeders' Cup sprint but surely traveling would take something out of it or is he a good traveler?
2: He's a great traveler. You know, he, he takes everything within his stride. So that wasn't, if he was a bad traveler, I wouldn't have never have done that. Um, Ideally we could have run him back at Saratoga, but there wasn't any race from there for another, obviously the four goals in a month's time. And he's a sprinter. We don't need to train, train him much. Um, He's full of energy and to, to wait another month to run him would be unfair on him. Um I didn't wouldn't want to put put him in sort of any or him jeopardise himself doing too much in the mornings training wise. So we talked together briefly and we thought he's a great traveller and um, you know, we shipped him all up and down the east coast last year. Fortunately enough, you know, the flight's similar to a van ride that um and it was that Monday when we put him on a plane to California.
0: Wow, well, that certainly does make sense. This Saturday, you do have, as we mentioned before, uh, another filly running at Saratoga, Vexations in the personal ensign. She was second behind Monomoy Girl last time out in the Grade 2 Ruffian. Um, she has enough early speed to kind of sit handily and be quite flexible. And She's been up at Saratoga now for a little bit, I do believe. How is she liking it there this year?
2: Oh, she loves it there now. She she blossomed last year. Um, you know, the way she was training last year and the way she looked led us to tell her she was going to run a big race in the summer colony, which she did. Um, and, you know, you, you want to fast look for forward to the future and we thought, you know, we'll bring her back. This was last summer. Let's focus on a race next summer for her because she did so well there. So once she was second in the rough and we shipped her right up to Saratoga to train. Um, you know, there was a few plans in mind with her immediately after the ruffian nothing was set in stone with her we wanted her to tell us when she wanted to run again obviously coming back in three weeks is not ideal off a big effort like that but she's breezed since she's ate everything her coat dappled out energy's good so um, why not give her a chance if she's telling us she's ready to run we'll run her again on Saturday
0: She's going to Go against a tough field with champion or the dirt female Midnight Beast Sue in there. She was, of course, a game second in Saudi and won the grade two Fleur de Lis last time out. How would you rate her chances? How confident are you going into this race? It's going to, it's not going to be easy, but then again, grade ones never are.
2: No, I know exactly. You know, any race is never easy. You look on paper and there always seems to be, oh, this is a horse to beat and things like that. The good thing with us, Vexatious is doing great. Um... Going into the race, and that's sort of our main concern. Um, you know, she's up against it against Midnight Pursue. Obviously, she's very talented and a one of the fan favorites. So, you know, if we can finish a good second to Midnight Pursue, would be, we'd be very happy. Um, it's a short field. It's probably going to be a jockeys' race. That, you know, typically in the smaller fields, um, there's a. You might think in a bigger field, there's a lot of scrambling going into the first turn, but you know, if there's no speed in the race, some jockeys going to have to jump out and go forward. So if there's five jockeys thinking of doing the same thing, there's going to be some hustling and tussling going into that first turn. So the good thing with XA she's, she's coming out of that one turn mile. I think she's going to jump and go forward. Um, if there's no speed in the race, the, I think motion in motion is going to run. Um, that really might show a little bit of speed and. I even think midnight pursuing the past is maybe jumped and gone forward there. but we'll be definitely jumping and going forward. And if no one wants to go, we'll be on the lead.
0: And talking about jockeys, uh, would it be Jose Lascano that's getting back on board again? He was yeah. on her in the ruffian.
2: You know, it's one, he wrote a great in the ruffian and spoke very highly of her after the race. And why make any changes there? Um, you know, Joel Rosario wrote a great last summer in the summer colony. So if, Jose Lascano didn't want a rider, you know, and Joel did, I would have put Joel back on, but to me, it didn't make any sense changing a jockey after a good second.
0: No, absolutely. And Jose Lascano has been doing very well up here. I mean, it's it's not an easy jockey colony. There's right. some great <laughs> jockeys here. You must have been following the action. What do you think of uh, how it's going so far?
2: Oh, it's great. You know, I've yet to go up there and I've been fortunate enough to watch it you on know, Fox Sports, which is great. And Uh, texting a few people back and forth that Saratoga is always going to be Saratoga but it's a little different this year atmosphere-wise without the fans and things like that but I think speaking to a lot of the horsemen everyone's just fortunate that we're allowed to race during this time
0: and you just mentioned before that Everfast is gonna run on the undercard. Um, he's going back to dirt because he ran in the Makers Mark mile on turf yeah. before that. Uh, what what made you wanna go back to the dirt surface again?
2: You know, his whole career has been on the dirt. He's ran some respectable races on the dirt. The only reason why we ran him in the Makers Mark mile, it was a grade one in our back garden, his home track. And he breezed a few times on the, on the turf course at Keeneland to give us, and his breezes were okay. You know, we thought we'll give him a shot in a grade one. Didn't have to ship him anywhere. He just didn't handle the, t- the turf that day. And um, we thought we'll put him back on the um, on the dirt. Um, it's pretty amazing the races he's ran in, and he's still eligible for a one other than. So um, <laughs> he'll run in the one other than on Saturday with Joel Rosario. Time and why seems to be okay that if he was to to win that race we might look for the fall goal with him
0: oh that'll be very interesting indeed and jack that's sort of all i wanted to quickly discuss with you today i do love to get you on for a longer segment but i just wanted to sort of preview the action that was coming up and uh and of course talk about lexitonian i really wish you the best of luck on the other side of the coast in the bing crosby
2: great thanks a lot naomi for having me
0: We tie up the conversation in relation to Saturday's Saratoga Grade 1 action on Whitney Day with Naira's one and only long-standing handicapper, Andy Serling, who kindly sat down with me in his trackside office. Get your notepads out, guys. Andy, I'm so happy to have you joining me here today. It's the first time you're on my show. you're
3: happy now. You might (laughs) not be happy when I'm done, but for now you'll be happy.
0: Well, I'm very much looking forward to your insight on the three grade one races that are coming up this weekend at Saratoga. And I'd love to start with the personal ensign for the Phillies. Of course, the big story is Midnight Bizu. What do you think is gonna happen here? Because she seems the one to be. Do you think there's anyone capable of putting it to her? Yeah, I mean, I don't,
3: you know, I, I don't subscribe to this notion that she could have won by you know 15 more lengths last time. I think that her last race was fine, but I don't think it was a particularly spectacular effort. But I, you know, I also understand she's coming back from Saudi Arabia and it's a starting point, so I I expect her to run much better, and she'll probably win this race. But I'm a skeptic, and I, I don't want to ever assume horses are going to win. She's been tremendous. I mean, what can you say about her, her races last year? She ran well every single time, ran all year bunch of different racetracks and and she just kept delivering obviously she lost the big one to blue prize but she didn't run badly that day and 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 she was a true champion last year so she's way the horse to beat i'm not really trying to beat her because i mean the competition there's only two other sort of quality horses and everybody else would be a big step up and that's Point of Honor, who doesn't seem to want to win races. I mean, she had everything go her own way last time. And I know she lost by a nose. But she's supposed to beat She's a Julie if she's going to turn around and beat Midnight Bisou. Because on I mean, She's a Julie's best day, she's not able to be competitive with the same horse in her barn in Midnight Bisou. And Vexatious, I think, is a little interesting, because she did run that good race here behind Blue Prize, who, of course, won the spinster, spinster as well. I guess she won the spinster. And she also won the Breeders' the, the Cup. And listen, she ran a big figure when she was second to Monoy girl around one turn. I'd be surprised if she beats Midnight Bisou, but I think from a gambling standpoint, I'd probably have a little bit of vexatious somewhere in my tickets, but I think Midnight is gonna win,
0: probably. So from that betting point of view, when you look at races like this, would you be going for more exotic type bets, keying Midnight Bisou on top and looking for some value using the other fillies?
3: Well, there's three pick threes on, pick five, excuse me, on Saturday. This one is only the end of the first one. So I think looking at the early pick five, you know, I'm gonna take pay multiple tickets and on tickets where my top choices, if I'm particularly smart in the four legs, I'm gonna have be alive to vexatious and maybe even point of humor, if the ticket spreads and I'm right in two to three of them and some of the oddballs win that I happen to have covered in like a C, then I'll pretty much be single to Midnight Beast. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of money trying to beat her. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense.
0: You mentioned that she was running at a lot of different tracks uh, last year, and even this year earlier in February. How much do you think it takes out of Maris to be traveling that much? Or do you think she's as as tough as she's been that it wouldn't affect her too much?
3: I, I think that was a reasonable question because as they get older, I mean, let's talk about Sister Charlie, right? And she clearly seemed to be tailing off the end of last year, and you know she's still running very well, but not as well as she'd run in the past. And obviously her return was disappointing last week. Um, Midnight Bisu, I, I think of Midnight Bisu as a similar type talent to Sister Charlie both exceptional fillies and mares um, have had exceptional records I wouldn't put them in the top of the pantheon of great horses in their divisions but they're exceptional racehorses and certainly very very good given what's running right now um, Midnight Bisou she won the difference is she won convincingly last time but once Serengeti Empress just sort of fell apart who is she really beating and I'm not I'm not trying to be dismissive or knock her performance but it's not surprising she won and the fact that the time came up as slow as it did and it's very easy to compare it because it wasn't too long after at the Tom's they ran that much much faster race so there is a way to compare them it wasn't a fast race she probably could have gone a little bit faster i don't know if she could have gone two fifths faster she couldn't have gone two seconds faster that i do know you can't slow down an animal that much, so I think it's possible. I think you're right. I think, and I think Vexatious has run well enough, and Point of Honor has won well enough that she's going to have to run a faster race than she ran last time. And we'll see how fast
0: she's able to run. Yeah, there might be a little bit more pressure involved that would require her to put in a little bit more effort. I mean, she won by eight and a quarter. Why would you need to go no, even faster? Absolutely.
3: Right? No, I, I agree. I'm not. You know, I'm not. I, but I still I want to see it. And as you say, she's now a five year old mare that's had a lot of tough dances and sometimes they come back and aren't as good but she ran well enough in the Saudi Cup and well enough last time to suggest she's probably still pretty good if not Um, better than that.
0: Ricardo Santana taking the ride for the first time of course Steve Asmussen's main man. Any thoughts on him taking him out?
3: I think the only person concerned about it is Mike Smith. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why anybody would be concerned. Mike's a great rider but so is Ricardo. He's a terrific rider. I'm sure he'll be fine.
0: Right. Well, I'd love to move on to the next grade one race on the card, which is uh, race nine, the Whitney. Smaller field here this year. You did the post-parading, got the chance to speak to some of the connections. Uh, who would be the first horse you're looking at in this field?
3: Well, I mean, Tom's D'Etat is the horse to beat. Uh, he, he was terrific last time. He kind of was coming off who's gotten better and better for Al Stahl when he's coming off just career-defining performance, which is so unusual for a seven-year-old that it's a little hard to believe, but it's not like he hasn't run well before those races. And tactically, he's got the speed to put himself in the race. And while Improbable, who's one of the major players as well, has speed, I think his toughest competition is Code of Honor, and he doesn't have the speed. So he's got a tactical advantage. And he may have a talent edge over these. So I don't think there's any argument that Tom Zeta is the horse to beat in this race.
0: That's really interesting because my top two was Tom Zeta, then Cotevater. So I'd love to hear that from you. But in terms of the speed setup, do you think Mr. Buff will most likely be the one moving forward?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I know that the John Kill said, well, he's learned to stalk off horses. If you're going to run him in this race and take your chance to win, send him. Put him in front. Let the others come after him. Ultimately, I'll be surprised if he's good enough, but as John Kimmel said at the draw, he has run some races that that give him a chance in here, so I won't knock him, but I think with Mr. Buff, you're trying to upset this field. Upset them with your strength. Don't give up your strength and his strength is speed. Now, I don't think that's gonna hurt anybody because Tom Zetaak can stalk and also Improbable can stalk as well. The thing about Improbable is, he's at times run exceptional races. He's also thrown in some mediocre races. Obviously, he was very good last time, Improbable, in the Hollywood Gold Cup. But he beat nobody in there. And now he's coming back here. But I thought he ran very well behind Tom's D'Etat in the Oakland Mile. It didn't have the best of it. So I picked him third. But I'm not going to be shocked if he wins this race. I don't think anyone can say that Improbable doesn't have the credentials to be competitive here.
0: Looking at his last race, he ran a great race. But in my opinion, he got the perfect stalking trip. Just everything went right for him. and Beautiful race, but... Does it put him right up here?
3: Well, why wouldn't he get another good trip in here? Good point. I mean, arguably, he's naturally faster than Tom's D'Etat. So I don't see why he's going to be compromised here. I mean, I'm not in love with his chances, but I'm not going to be surprised. And, you know, you have to be careful about downplaying Bob Baffert horses, especially at ship here. He's won just about every major race we've ever run, and many of them multiple times.
0: Very true, very true. I did see him at the Bond this morning, and he's looking very good, very happy. Bob Improbable. (laughs) Bob wasn't here. Jimmy Barnes was, and he was very kind of helping us out. Let's move on to Code of Honor. Johnny Velasquez on board, who won this race four times already with Suge McGee, who's run this race three times already. I mean, talking about credentials.
3: I was here for all of them. I haven't missed a single time that Suge has won this race, including personal ensign. Um, I, I like Code of Honor. I mean, Maybe I'm playing a little bit with my heart because I want him to win. I have trouble resisting horses like Honor that ran as well as he did in the Met Mile. For, for him to lose that race by a length and a half when you consider how tepid the pace was, and the trip he had, trying to close wide, coming from last. either it was an exceptional losing effort by him, and I'm I'm a sucker for exceptional losing efforts because horses are sometimes overplayed off wins and underplayed off losses. I don't know if the pace is gonna be in his favor, and I think the Tom Sayton may be a too good for Code of Honor to overcome that disadvantage. But I think if he ends up being five to two and times time it dies even money, then maybe the price is good enough to take a small shot with him.
0: And going back to mile and an eighth coming off that mile, do you think that just suits him better in terms of his closing style?
3: Yeah, I think he's fine at a one-turn mile. I don't think a one-turn mile really hurts him. So uh, no, I'm not I'm not really Against him at shorter distances, but I think he's, he's he's just as good, if not better, going these longer distances. So I'm not concerned in that regard either. I think he'll be fine. I just I'm just worried that a Tom Todd may just be better than he is, but also b that um, that that that, that going to have a little tactical advantage on him. So Tom Todd is just the horse to beat because of talent and his running style.
0: Yeah, incredible, flexible running style that helps him out a lot. There's one horse that we haven't spoken about yet, who's on the inside by my standards, uh, Jose Ortiz on board. He made a bold bid last time out, but he was never able to get close to Tom Setau based on talent and, and how, the, how the race panned right. out. But looking at his speed figures, he would be considered competitive.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I've I never gotten this horse. I, 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 I think he's gotten extremely good trips in his races and... I don't think he's good enough to beat these horses at all. I'll be very surprised if he's competitive. You're right. He's run two straight 102 buyers, and they're totally in line with Code of Honor's done. The difference is that Code of Honor hasn't had. One of them for Code of Honor was just with layoff but the other one was with a lousy trip and he ran the same figure. My My Standards was second last time because there was nobody else in the race and Owendale didn't show up. The time before that he sat on top of a very moderate pace for that racetrack and that quality of horse and he's just had, and he had everything go his way in the New Orleans Handicap where you know where a horse I think it was uh, Silver Dust didn't break and, and Pletcher's horse misbehaved and everything fell into his lap. I, I just don't think he's as gross. He's a nice horse. I just, these
0: of these horses. Well, yeah, there are a fair few nice horses in this field. And before we move on, I just wanted to get back to when you were talking about Personal Ensign winning the Whitney, uh, Easy Goer, Honor Code, and you were here for all of them. W- which horse of those three would be your favorite or which which experience was the best for you? Well, what is your favorite well, memory? Well,
3: I mean, Easy Goer was a horse that I loved a great deal and he was a cool horse, but but I always loved Personal Ensign the most. You know, I was lucky enough to see almost all of her races live. Um, I was at Belmont when she won her debut. I actually wasn't there when she won the Frisette. It was a Monday. I think it was a Columbus Day, and I wasn't there, I remember. Um, but I saw her in her comeback races at Belmont when she came back. as a three-year-old, four-year-old. That was at the Breeders' Cup when she won. So I had a, an enormous affinity for her. She was a remarkable horse. So I would say her the most. And she beat Gulch, who I loved, and she'd beat King Swan, who was, you know, a huge fan favorite and a very popular horse who I loved. She won the Whitney. So I would say personal ensign, but but I liked all those horses and Easy Goer a great deal as well. I mean I was was heartbroken when Easy Goer lost the Met Mile as a four year old, but uh, I loved all those horses.
0: Well, I love reminiscing about these older races because I've only seen them on the screen, and I actually got the chance to speak with Shug yesterday for this podcast as well, and we were talking about personal ends and an easy goer, so I feel very fortunate to even just hear from you and from Shug who, who were there and, and saw them. Shug loves race. talking
3: about those horses. He had so many great horses back then. I mean, I'm sure you could do... Um Hundreds of hours of conversations with Sean about those horses.
0: I mean, wh- why wouldn't you love talking about horses like no, this? No, I
3: agree. They were incredible. And Personal was such a story because, you know, she'd breaking, you know, the, the, the fracture, I guess, and you know, the screws and stuff and coming back and just, she was incredible. I remember her masquette when she ran down Winning Collars the race before she won the Breeders' Cup over Winning Collars at Belmont. And Winning Collars was about five lengths going around the turn. Personal just ran her down. Winning Collars was a tremendous horse
0: absolutely wonderful performances from her let's finish off with the last great one on the, i mean loaded card on saturdays it's lots of excitement but very much looking forward to the h allen jerkins because this is a big field i feel like there's a lot of sort of scenarios that could play out and in terms of the speed setup what is the first thing that you look for in this big field
3: well no, I'll make Tom Amos happy, and Tom, I don't like his horse at all. I didn't like it at all last time, and, and he won, so maybe that's good for Tom. But I find it extremely hard to believe that Echo Town's connections are going to use the same, you know, poor tactics they did last time, which found him finishing almost four legs behind him. Why would you do the same thing and have no chance to beat him? And I have trouble seeing Bob Baffert shipping eight rings across the country to not be aggressive. Bob Baffert wins a lot of races, and he doesn't do when too many of them coming in from last, especially the speed horses. So I think the pace here is going to be honest, and I don't think it was honest last time. I think no, no, that no pro was able to get away with an extraordinarily slow pace and enabled him to flash and do a short stuff. He's obviously a very good horse, but I think you're gonna see a much, much more honest pace, which would help a horse like Shoplifted, who finished third last time and was compromised. I'm interested mostly in two horses in this race. Um, I like Tapit to win on the outside. The horse that it ran in the Belmont, you know, just less than like a week and a half after that, that fast allowance race, two and a half weeks after that fast allowance race, win. I love him cutting back, sitting on the outside. He's one going shorter. He can stalk. He gets the perfect post. I don't believe he'll be the five to one morning line. Um, I know he's no pearl nine to five. I don't think he'll be nine to five. And I definitely, I think Tappet to win will be close to favorite in here. So I'm not sure I'm picking him. I'm not sure I want him at five to two or three to one. If I took the the, the morning line at face value I would love him at five to one and I wouldn't love three techniques so I kind of like because he's six to one line but I think he's gonna be closer to ten to one I have trouble seeing the three technique taking that much money certainly comparable to the money that um, that, that that tap is going to take but three technique was wide against a good rail in his last start. He ran well, well in those two races, considering and Jeremiah and courses did not do much running at Oaklawn. He showed a lot of promise. I love the, the cutback and distance, and I think he fits this race like a glove, and I think his price will be fair. So I'm interested in three technique and tap it to win, but I, I think there's a lot worse than the can
0: three technique uh, two from two over this distance as well so definitely suits him talking a little bit more about for example echo town we spoke about no parole you think the favorite is not going to get an easy lead like like he did last time out so possibly looking at the other speed horse uh, echo town what do you think is going to happen with him and do you like him looking back at that woody stevens he he really just that didn't work out for him at all he
3: did no running at all and finished second because others did even less running and i think if you want a horse out of the woody you're supposed to want shoplifted because he's the one that was most compromised by the lack of pace and was forced to make an early middle move in there because they weren't moving that much. And now in this race, I think Tyler Gafferlund is sort of sit back, hope the pace is fast, and make his late close. I don't like him as much because I like cutbacks. The problem is he's not cutting back. He already had his cutback last time. But I do think the shoplifted. Of the horses in the Woody Stevens, shoplifted is the only one that I would use.
0: Now, for all the betting listeners amongst us, you say you like cutbacks as an angle. How so?
3: Uh, horses turning back from outs to sprints just over time do very well um maybe they get you know um they 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 get good bottom maybe just from going a long distance i don't know the reasons i know it works and i look for those kind of horses a lot because you'll find price horses doing that and i'm not a big angle guy but the cutback angle works and i done very well with it over the last 20 years so i'm i'm sticking to that and i think it'll work very well for tap to win, i also think he's more of a sprinter type anyway i'm not really convinced he wants to go that far and i think the one turn mile 16 at belmont is an elongated sprint it's not a sprint but it's not run like a true route especially when a horse bottoms the field out the way he did so i think he's perfect for seven furlongs i think tap to Win's a very good horse you know his, his maiden win on a dead rail on Travers day was very good last year um, for whatever reason, he just fell apart at the end of the year. I'm a little concerned that Cassie bar has really been cold up in Saratoga, but I think he's the kind of horse
0: that can help them break out of it. How much do you let the barn's form sway your decisions when it comes to bigger fields like this? It, it
3: depends on price and circumstance. Um, you know, a short-priced horse from a barn that's going badly, and I have another idea. I'm going to be more inclined to go with the other idea. I don't like—it's not voodoo. I don't like to get too overboard, but. That barn is struggling up here, but I I think Tapeto is the kind of quality horse so that he'll overcome that. I expect him to run well. Surprised he doesn't run well. He may not win, but I expect him to run well.
0: Well, and just getting back to the number two eight rings, who I find very interesting as well. Obviously, Joel won it, this race in 2017 with Practical Joke. Uh, as you mentioned, mentioned Bob Baff doesn't ship them out for no reason. And he's been working very well. He works them fast. So you think that he would indeed be a little bit more aggressive than he's shown before?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, as far as shipping, don't forget, a probable came, Uncle Chuck came. So it's not as though he's coming. It's not as though Bob's not shipping horses here. I think is coming next week. Um have got to do something with them, right? He's been syndicated already, I believe. Obviously, he showed enormous talent last year. So I think there's an impetus to try to add a grade one win for him. And why wouldn't you? I mean, you want to make him a more valuable stallion. He's got plenty of pedigree. He ran well as a two-year-old, but they want to, you know, try to show he can do it as a three-year-old. So as long as he's sound, they're going to run. But listen, I I don't dismiss Bob Baffert. I picked the source third, and I think he's very dangerous. But I'm also not convinced. He's also a bit of a head case at times, too, right?
0: Yeah, no, he's shown to have a bit of character. So just wrapping up your selections in this race, uh, who's your top three?
3: Well, my top three are three technique, tap it to win and eight rings. I'm not sure if I'm gonna put tap it to win first and three three technique second or the other way around, but I'm gonna have eight rings third and shoplifted fourth. They're
0: They're my picks. Great. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Pleasure. And uh, we'll finish off on that note. Hopefully, right. a high note on Saturday. Hopefully. It's going
3: to be a great day of racing. And I think, you know, Whitney Day is always my favorite. It's my single favorite day at Saratoga. And obviously, things are different this year. But uh, I look greatly forward to Whitney Day. And I think it's going to be a great card tomorrow or Saturday, whatever it is.
0: As always, a big thank you to my three guests, Sug Meye, Jack Sisserson, and Andy Serling who were so kind to grant me a little bit of their time whilst I asked them about horses, history, and their racing experience. Can't wait for Whitney Day to roll around. Last year was very special. It was my first time ever attending Saratoga. So everything was new and just the whole atmosphere really caught me off guard in a great way. This year won't feel the same, but the horses will still be there and they're ready to go. Also, make sure to wear something pink in honor of the Queen of Saratoga, Mary Lou Whitney. See you guys at the normal day and time, Thursday early morning, so you can have your coffee or, I don't know, exercise whilst getting the latest in the horse racing industry. And for now, goodbye, but you do know where to find me if you need me.